All right, if you will take your Bible tonight, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I thought I had a deep voice till about two minutes ago. (laughs) Love that deep, resonant voice that puts people to sleep, is what I've been told. Bring your baby and yeah, we'll we'll rock them to sleep, we'll preach them to sleep. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tonight, and uh, we are, you should have a handout in front of you, as your pastor said, Uh, we're looking at tonight processing stress. Of all the things that uh, we navigate as men, um, I do think one of our core issues is how we process pressure, specifically stress. And to be honest with you, I feel like sometimes we label certain issues in our in our man space um, as being other things. And I think there's a lot more to this that maybe God will help you with this evening. Hope that He will. But that we're looking at tonight: stress relief toys or weapons. So discarding that which the world. Worldly man, fleshly man uses to process stress and in his place to use what God has provided for us. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll look at a couple other verses in this chapter with the Lord's favor and time tonight. But let's look at verse 3 down through verse number 5. Paul says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And just think for a second as we begin this text, did Paul navigate a few stresses in his life? Um, and obviously the we, we don't know who all he's referring to. We could guess who he's thinking of when he says we there, but I assure you the we, they did process stress. Um, and so in verse four, he says, for the weapons of our warfare, there against the plural pronoun, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. So there's the mind and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There's the tension and bringing into that captivity, every thought to the obedience of of Christ. So tonight I want to look at this subject, stress relief toys or weapons. I don't know if you've ever had, I don't know if you've worked like in a, you know, cubicle farm as we would say, or a place where you got a lot of different men working or ladies. A lot of times we find gimmicks to process stress, you know, like a little punching bag that has a suction cup on it that we stick there. We got a little dart board. There's all kinds of gimmicks you can use to like, to let out that rage or that stress. And that may look different in your space or your workspace, but we find sometimes gimmicks that I think really shortchange everything that God's provided for us um, in Jesus Christ. Um, And I will just say this as we begin tonight, we are foolish to try to fight battles with toys, and we would be wise to take full advantage of the weaponry that God has provided for us through the gospel, through his word, and by his spirit. Um, and I just would say this tonight, maybe if you would ask me to summarize in a spirit, from a spiritual perspective, what is stress? I could give you a medical definition, I could give you a practical definition, but from a believer's standpoint, can I just say stress tonight is not random, but is the result of spiritual forces at war with each other. I think sometimes we blame stress on our wife, we blame stress on our boss, we blame stress on the problems that we all deal with in a fallen, broken world. But in reality, the stress in our world is because we live in a fallen world. And this fallen world is not just what we see that maybe bothers us in the moment, but there's a spiritual battle going on. And the only way to fight that battle and to win that battle um, is to use the weaponry that God has afforded to us. So Paul here, he he's really, where are we at in, in the Corinthian letters? We're almost to the end. And it's almost like he's been biding his time to deal with this core issue um, that really plagued the city of Corinth. Corinth was one of the most over-sexualized, immoral places you could ever imagine. Um, and it's almost like Paul's been waiting to bring this up. Have you ever had that, that one thing in the counseling session or that one thing in your message or that one thing with your kid and you, you bide your time, right? Um, and that's Paul here in chapter 10 as he's really getting to the crux of, of his concerns for this church and I think specifically the men of this church so I hope tonight we can glean a few lessons from it. So let's talk about this two-part trade. And you have an outline in front of you there. Um, first of all, number one, we have to subtract the carnal toys. So we have to get out of our lives things we're using to try to process stress that really only either compound it or deal with it superficially instead of dealing with it uh, in a way that pleases the Lord. Um, <laughs> the other day, I don't know if you like bacon or not. I don't think you'd be a man if you don't like bacon, okay? <laughs> Brother John served us bacon today, or his wife did. And uh, he is, he's a man of God. I can sense that. We had grits that I don't have ever, very often, and we had bacon. It was a good morning. And um, somebody asked this question. They said, if you had to choose between eating bacon every day or being skinny for the rest of your life, all right, so here's the question. Would you choose Applewood 
or would you choose hickory smoke? <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but there are certain carnal things that I like that it's very hard to let go of those things, right? That could be bacon. I could list a lot of other things I want tonight. Um, but uh, sometimes we lean on these things, whatever it is, um, in a way that really hinders and undercuts what God wants to do. So here's kind of the thought as we begin. God has not called us to men to cope as men to cope with stress. He's called us to conquer it. He's called us to lean into it, to look to him and to use the weaponry that he has given us by his grace. Um, and so let's talk about this this evening. So let's start first with the negative. This can be a bit direct. I'll be careful with the young men in the room how I speak to some of these issues. But number one, let's talk first of all about mainstream toys. So these would be mainstream acceptable ways for men to process stress that, to be honest with you, are not as productive as we've convinced ourselves that they are. If you go down to verse number 12, Paul says this later, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, um, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, what's the next three words? Are not wise. So we are fools to use what everybody else uses when it comes to stress. We could talk about other areas, but we are foolish to use what every guy, the average guy, quote-unquote, uses to deal with any given issue. And so Paul here basically says, you guys are fools to be involved in what is basically a mutual admiration society. Attaboy, they say attaboy to us. We all just kind of pretend it's okay. And we all know if we're honest, there's something missing uh, in this area. So I want to just list for you some things that are very mainstream that I see guys regularly, both first this guy standing in front of you, and if we're not careful, the men, not just in the world, but in our churches using uh, to process stress. Number one, first of all, and this, I can't believe we have to say this, but alcohol, prescription drugs, um, we're just, we're in the state of Ohio, we just legalized the medical use of marijuana. Um, we also now have it legalized that it can be used recreationally. Um, gambling, other things just passed this past cycle, uh, new, or election cycle in our state. But things that used to be out of bounds are not anymore, right? And I think we at least have to say that this evening, um, that we have to be honest where we're using those substances or something similar um, to process stress. Um, in the medical community, specifically in, where counseling and the medical piece merge, which is a hard marriage to reconcile with a confidence in the sufficiency of Scripture, but also recognizing that sometimes there are physiological things that contribute to our struggles, um, there's what's called dual diagnosis. Um, my brother-in-law, who's with the Lord, passed away a few years ago. I think he clinically would be um, diagnosed as being uh, dual diagnosis, which means you have an underlying issue that then you are self-medicating with something. And his struggle was alcohol. He didn't love alcohol. He didn't enjoy alcohol, but it was a way to dull the pain of some other things going on in his life. And I see in our ranks, often we also as men are doing the same thing. We're using things. We're using substances instead of dealing with the core issues that are before us. Uh, a couple more, food and drink. I'm going to meddle a bit tonight, okay? So just bear with me. I'll leave here in a few minutes and you can go back to your normal programming, okay? Food and drink. Um, number three, random hobbies and interest. Um, this would not be in a wholesome way. We'll talk about how hobbies can be a good thing in a moment, but we need to be more intentional instead of wasting time. It's kind of like the you know, scrolling through the cat video kind of content on the internet, and we're just wasting time, and an hour later, we have nothing to show for the management of that, those minutes uh, that we have. Uh, next, mind-numbing media, so that would maybe be in the same vein of thought. This could be talk, sports, radio, podcast, internet news, video platforms, social media. Um, a friend of mine in the ministry, he added up the other day, so the average American spends between five to six hours per day on their phone. That depresses me just to hear that. Yeah. Five to six hours a day. So here's the math. At six hours per day, that means every year we spend three months on our phone. Three months on our phone. And we wonder why we're not problem solving. We're not dealing with the core issues in our marriage, in our ministry, in our physical stewardship, whatever the specific thing may be. And so we need to own that. Um, there are all kinds of hacks. If you don't know how to manage your phone, um, there's all kinds of ways to manage how much time you're on your phone, on which apps you're on. Um, be intentional with that. There's a huge issue that does not help but compounds our stress. Uh, next, sports. When you hear, and I know that's really meddling, but when you hear man cave, what comes to your mind? A place a guy goes to pray and get a hold of the throne of God? No, right? 
Um, what, why, aren't man, why aren't men known for other things? Man cave, why is it the thing we're most known for? Is it descri- describing that would be more the sports or other things like that? Video games, I run into regularly all the time. This happens almost every church I'm in. As we travel, parents with grown son or daughter who is consumed with video games. And it's not the video game. It's the social interaction that's built into you and baked into those uh, platforms. And so we have to own where we as men maybe are using that in a way that is dysfunctional and not helping us. Um, I could say more on that, but I think those are a few things at least to get your brain going in the direction maybe God wants you to this evening. So if you process stress like an average man, you are not in good company from God's perspective, bluntly put. So may we own that. May we stop being the fool, and may we instead... Uh, go with what God has given us in his word. All right, secondly, number two, and this is probably the most painfully direct part of our study tonight, private toys. So you have mainstream toys that we as men use to process stress. We also have ones that we do in the private space um, of our lives. Um, One of the things that's funny to me about adulthood are things that we never talk about, but we all think about and we all kind of interact, but we just maybe we've never talked to somebody. The one that was brought up to me recently was, if you notice, when you go to the stove, you know, when your wife's like deathly ill and you have to actually prepare food for yourself, and you go, you go to the stove, do you have like a go-to burner? I do. It's front right. I mean, that's just like, I mean, I'm sure you all have the same burner, okay? But like nobody talks about these things. Like we just all do it and we all have our preference. Do you, in all seriousness, do you know that in the church there are certain topics we kind of just dance around? And I think it's specifically how we manage stress in the personal space um, that is really, I think, robbing us of a lot of our power, our vitality. Um, the drive we should have for the cause of Jesus Christ is being misdirected. So look back at verse 5. Um, unless you think this issue is just an external one or a superficial one, Paul here in verse 5, he gets inside our heads here. Notice he says, casting down imaginations every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought to the obedience of Christ. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying that the battle is won in the mind. Uh, We men are trying to fight battles on the outside, and we've already lost because we haven't fought first the battle in the mind that sets us up for success or failure. Um, And so we have to address the thoughts that often we're, we're not dealing with. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You're not who I think you are tonight. I'm not who you think I am tonight. I am who I think, how I think, what I think about, what I focus on uh, is the real issue. So I'm going to talk about two areas in just a second, but I will say this before we begin because we're going to talk about our morality, how we manage our vessel, our mind, our thought life, that I think far less of the men issues in this space, and I counsel regularly, and I need also accountability in my life, um, has nothing to do with being perverted, being obsessed with certain topics and images and ideas. It's that it's a lazy way to process stress. Um, and so again, without getting too specific tonight, I just I want to challenge you on a couple of things that may help you if you're battling this or someone else is that you care for it. So first of all, let's talk about the private optical. This would be how we, we mismanage stress with our eyes, what we look at and what we focus on. Um, and the obvious struggle in our day is pornography. And I just list for you a few statistics tonight that show how far this has taken over and taken hold in our society. Um, over 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. 40 million. I think we've got like maybe 330 in our country, something to that tune. Uh, the porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, the NBA, and MLB combined. So they're not in it to relieve our stress. They're in it to monetize us, to objectify us as we objectify others. They're using us. Uh, pornography, uses, uh, pornography use increases marital infidelity by 300%. So don't tell yourself or try to convince yourself it's not going to affect your relationships. Um, 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to it. So that's why even our younger um, demographic in the room need to hear this and be challenged in it. Um, 94% of children will see it by age 14. 94%. I don't know if you guys are like me. I have teenage sons. It's all I can do to fight it and to keep the filters and the thresholds up that that help all of us, myself included, be accountable in this area. Lest you think it's just the world at large, 68% of church-going men 
and over 50% of pastors view it on a regular basis. So it's in this room. Okay, let's just be honest about that. Um, it's not just out there, it's in here. And then lastly, 57% of pastors say that addiction to porn is the most damaging issue in their congregation. Um, and so may this church be the exception, may your life be the exception as you process stress properly. So my premise, the reason I bring up this part of our study tonight is because I think a lot of that is it's an easy way to process stress. It's a lazy way to process stress that often we're shortcutting certain things that God wants to do through the relationships he's entrusted to us. Um, one author put it this way, because we talk about men have needs, right? And he said this, need, in quotes, is a common euphemism for idol. Right. Yeah. Often we don't have needs so much as we have masters. So we have to own that. 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 And as we do so, God can help us uh, with that. Um, there's several books I could recommend to you, but one that's been a great help to me in the counseling room is the book called Death of Porn. It's a good book um, that I've found to be very helpful. It's kind of written in the vein, <laughs> the vein of Solomon to his son, like the Proverbs. It kind of feels like that. It's much more positive, even though it's confronting sin. So that might be a book that's of help to you or someone that you're trying to minister to in this area. So kind of the final thought in this area would be the world and the devil are not offering you these virtual things to reduce your stress level. In fact, by participating in it or buying the lie, it will increase your stress, right? Hiding it, the timidity, the guilt, the shame, the effect it has on others around you. Uh, we have to be willing to acknowledge that. Um, Michael Foster put it this way, evil rulers will use women against men. Satan used Eve against Adam. Pharaoh unsuccessfully used the midwives against the sons of Israel. The Philistines used Delilah against Samson. The most widespread form of this attack today, porn. It keeps men pacified and weak. And so we've got to fight that so we can then fight the battles that God has called us to. All right, number two, go to Matthew 5. And I just, again, I'll be very careful how I say this, but I, I think you need to hear it this evening. Number two, private manual. Go to Matthew 5, and notice how graphic and blunt Christ is as it relates to our thought life. We'll get to all the positive in just a minute, but we need to make sure we talk this out a bit this evening. <laughs> our private, <laughs> private manual. You notice that we as men, like as soon as we hear a problem, we want to fix it, Right? And often the way that we fix things is with our hands. So we hear a wife say something she's concerned about or burdened about, and immediately we don't want to just listen. We want to fix it, right? Um, and the same thing is true with stress. We tend to do that in a way that's highly dysfunctional, and I would submit to you as even out of bounds from God's Word. So look, if you will, here in verse number 27. Christ has this cadence of, you've heard this, but I say unto you this. Remember this passage of different things? You hate your brother, it's the same as murder. He goes through this list of things. But look at this one specifically. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then here's this revolutionary thought that the Jewish men had to have just had almost an intake of air as they hear this. It runs counter everything they had been taught. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now I want you to notice the, the way the next two verses begin. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. So he's saying practice radical amputation. Cut it out. Is he talking literally? I guess if you have to. But he's talking about isolating, protecting, insulating your life from letting your eyes wander. Now look at verse 30. And I've struggled with this verse for years. Where's Christ going with this? And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee, again, these same words, that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And so I would submit to you this evening, I think he's talking about there in verse number 30, having studied it out, if you look at the context, he's talking about self-gratification. Um, and using your own assets and your own abilities um, to release or to let go of the stress um, that is in your life. And our tendency is to excuse that, to validate that, to use that as something that is an out when I believe God clearly sets it out of bounds. So you see Jesus appears to link self-gratification with lust when he says looking at a woman is the same as committing the act, and so is the act of self-gratification. And so we have to 
we have to cut off the things that keep us from processing stress properly. I know for me when I'm stressed, the reason I hate stress is because it makes me feel weak and overwhelmed. Do you feel that? I wish I could go in 70 directions right now. And when I feel weak, I tend to want to do something to process that that makes me feel either less stressed or feel stronger. And so I look for the easiest way to do that. Sometimes it's anger, right? There are all kinds of ways that we can manifest this, but it's unhealthy and it's unholy and God calls us to a different agenda. Um, I was in Israel two years ago. I showed this morning a picture from the Garden of Gethsemane. We had a Messianic Jew who was taking us around Israel. Um, This was right after COVID. The the country had just opened up. There were like seven groups maybe of us there. And um, we flew from New York City that has the second largest Jewish population to Tel Aviv, which has the most. And so I was processing. I mean, you're on a plane. They would pray, you know, all their prayer hours. You're trying to just stay out of their way as we make our way across the pond. And um, this Messianic Jew was saying, if you go to Times Square, where there are all kinds of immoral things you have access to, peep show type things, that Jewish men will brazenly, with their young son beside them, they'll leave their son at the door, and they will walk in and bold right in daylight, go in, watch what they're going to watch, and walk back out and feel not even a pang of guilt. And he was saying the reason for that is because they don't subscribe to the teaching of this text. I didn't do anything. And I think if we're not careful in the interior part of our, our, our well-being or lack thereof, uh, there's some issues on this area. Our thought life, our gratification, we need to align with God um, in his word. So practice the radical amputation of private toys and allow God to give you the right way to process stress that pleases and honors him. Uh, Matthew Henry put it this way, lust gets strength by being gratified. And it will take over, and there'll be a tipping point that you can no longer rein it back in without some serious intervention in your life. Lust gets strength by being gratified. Um, last thought, and then we'll move to the positive. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was a husband and wife talking. They were being interviewed, and the husband had struggled with pornography for years, and then he had gotten free of it. And then unbeknownst to his wife, he had, he had tripped back up into it for several months, and his wife said after it came out, because she caught him in it, she said the issue wasn't that you were watching pornography. The issue is you were hiding it from me. She said that actually is the bigger issue. And I will tell you this. We just had conversation over lunch uh, with your pastor about this. But I'm just telling you, sin does the, Satan does the following things. He entices you. He enslaves you. And then he, tries to, he threatens to expose you. And I'm just assuring you tonight, the best move you can make is bring it into the light to the person God has called you to share it with, to be transparent, and to then de-escalate where stress keeps ratcheting up this area of temptation in your life. All right, so now let's go to the positive. Hopefully, you got the point there without being too blunt with you that we need to subtract these mainstream toys, these carnal toys that are in our lives. So let's get now to the positive. Go back, if you would, to our text there. In 2 Corinthians 10, and look, if you will, at verse number 4. All right, so he calls us out where maybe we're off on the interior. Now let's talk about how we can handle stress in a way that pleases the Lord. Um, Verse 4, he says again, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. So we've laid those aside. At least we've agreed we should. Notice this, the end of verse 4, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Number 2, add sanctifying weapons. Add sanctifying weapons. Um, how many of you, by raise hand, you've been to Texas? All right, just raise your hand. All right, isn't Texas just a little different than the rest of we weak, feeble states? Everything's, <laughs> at least from their perspective, everything's bigger in Texas. The first Bucky's I ever went to with like where I could like spend all of my life savings on jerky, you know, and put it in one bag probably. Um, it, just everything in Texas is bigger. And the other day, this just this captures the spirit of our, our brethren to the southwest. Uh, I mean, they got the Alamo, right? Got all this stuff. But anyway, here's a story from San Antonio just a few months ago. Here's the headline, okay? News story in San Antonio a few months ago. Man uses gun to rob a convenience store in Texas, which is a mistake, okay? And then here's the second, here's the second sentence. Man is shot by every customer in that store. Every guy had a shot at him, okay? Um, Aren't you thankful that God gives us weapons that are comprehensively applicable and and effective? 
He gives us weapons to help us deal with everything that burdens us and slows us down and stresses us out. And that includes the area that we're talking about um, this evening. And so Paul here is admonishing us not to just cope with stress, but to conquer it with the weapons that he's provided. So what we're going to talk about now would be kind of proactive or preventative to not dealing with stress in the dysfunctional ways that we just talked about. And I feel like if you can get this second point right, the first one's going to be a little easier, um, or at least you'll get some momentum as you deal with maybe struggles in that. So let's talk about a couple of them. Number one, resting. Let's talk about resting weapons. I meant to say this to begin. If we have time at the end, if you have a question about this or something you found helped you process stress, we'd love to have you share that as we finish tonight. But number one, let's talk about resting weapons. So I'm just going to give you some practical things as it relates to stress that if you'll do these things, it will help you be more intentional in a way that pleases the Lord. Number one, sab- <laughs> excuse me, Sabbath rest. Um, in Mark 2 and verse 27, it says, The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for man. Even the man that's type A like me. Even the guy that can't handle, you know, sitting still for five minutes like me and like many of you in the room. The Sabbath was made for man. Just as Eve was created so that man would not have to live alone, the Sabbath was created so that man would not have to live exhausted and stressed out. And isn't it interesting that things that God has created for us we act like it's the worst thing for us. I'm too busy to Sabbath. I don't have time to take a break. I don't have time to rest to then be able to handle the stressors in life that God allows in my path. And so we have to work at Sabbath rest. In fact, if you notice there, look back in our text there in 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Did you notice through whom these weapons become mighty? Did you see that? Look at the middle of verse 4. Not carnal, but mighty through whom? Through God. Um, The temptation is when we're stressed out is to do more, to put more in effort. And sometimes we just need to rest and let God do something with the situation. I remember having a seasoned pastor tell me one time, because I was like, Pastor, we got to do something about this situation. He said, I am doing something. I'm doing nothing. I'm giving God room to work in this situation. And some of our fretting and fuming and pacing um, we're just spinning our wheels and wearing ourselves out. And in the process, we're not trusting in God and giving him space to prove himself. I found if I give God room, I never regret that. He takes longer, yes. It's more methodical. The wheels of providence move slowly, as we would say. But the end result is always superior to what I could have done in a moment to try to deal with it or put the fire out or triangulate the, the threat, whatever the case may be. And so may we give God room by practicing Sabbath rest. Without the honoring of the God-assigned rhythm of weekly rest, listen, we lack the energy needed to even put up a good fight in this battle God has called us to. I think a lot of us men, I look at you tonight, you're probably like me, we're just tired, right? We've got a lot of balls in the air and our world is complex and we we can use all kinds of excuses, right, of why we're not getting the rest that we need. It's time to drop those excuses and to honor God in the ways that he calls us to. So may we process stress, not in a lazy way, as we talked about earlier, but in a rested way that will please and honor him. All right, number two. So we talked about the hand piece. Let me give you a little hack that I learned from a guy a few years ago that's really been helping me. I'll explain it, but let me give you the point. Manual versus mind rest. Manual versus mind rest. So here's the principle, maybe jot this down to help you learn how to rest better. If you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. So if primarily you work with your mind as I do, I'm thinking, I'm talking, I'm studying, um, I'm not on an assembly line, I'm not installing something at somebody's home, I'm not mowing down forest with a big old chainsaw, I'm doing things more mental. If you work with your mind, Sabbath with your hands. If you work with your hands, Sabbath with your mind. So if you do a lot of manual work, the last thing you should be doing is going home and just leaning into a bunch of physical labor. Sometimes you'll have to, but your downtime should be the opposite of that. You're you're learning what depletes you, and you're learning what renews you, and you're being very intentional with that. I think in Ephesians 4, we see just a little bit of an allusion, not maybe to the manual versus mind piece, but the idea of learning what, what to put off and what to put on. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man 
which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and in true holiness. So with stress, we tend to give in to the old man because he's just more natural, right? It's just more natural to cave to him, but we need to put that off and put on the new man that's being renewed in the righteousness of God, the holiness that he alone provides. So the very activities that interest you to be mind-numbing, as we talked about earlier, those things can be healthy. There's nothing sinful about a man cave. There's nothing sinful about, probably you want to amen there, but you're not sure if you should. Um, There's nothing wrong for some of you lobbying for that right now with the boss at home. But whatever it is, those things in and of themselves are not bad. It's just what's the reason behind it? How frequently are you giving uh, yourself to that pursuit? But if it leads to a rested mind, if it leads to reengaging in what God has called you to do, um, it can be a holy activity. One of the things that I struggle with because I am driven, a driven kind of guy, is that rest, when I do nothing, that that's just as holy in God's eyes as when I'm doing the most amazing thing for God. Leading somebody to Christ, baptizing somebody, counseling someone, whatever the case may be, God is just as pleased when I stop and I let him be God. And I'm human. I'm finite. I have limitations and I let him work in a given situation. So this would just be me, since I work with my mind, um, a lot of times working on the house. We flipped houses on the side a bit, our family. And so I will have a podcast on in my ear, and I'm working on something. And to me, I'm still doing something, but it's opposite of what I do during the week. I'm listening to some podcast about an entrepreneur, some guy who started Home Depot, or whatever the case may be. Something that's just interesting, that, that it decompresses, it gets me out of my normal bent of thought, and I end the day in a way that's refreshed and rejuvenated. And so I encourage you to think about where you can do better in Sabbath. Um, if you don't work intentionally at resting, you will lack the moral and physical fortitude required for a regular spiritual victory. Your victorious Christian life depends upon that fortitude that needs refreshment and renewal. Um, and so see that and defend that and protect that time as being a non-negotiable. Um, here would be my challenge to you tonight. When is the next time you're going to Sabbath? And what are you not going to do on that day? And what are you going to do on that day? See, we tend to view Sabbath as just, I'm not doing anything. And I'm just telling you, there's no void in the cosmos. Something will fill every void. So you've got to figure out what you're going to do on that day. And you ought to know that tonight, within the next seven days, you better have a Sabbath. It might be a couple of afternoons. It might not be all in one day. But whenever that time is, you know what you're going to do and you know what you're not going to do. I don't check emails on my day off. If I do, I'm working by 9 a.m., okay? So I have to, I have to set that time aside, um, and that helps me to process. Then when I get in a stressful situation, I'm ready for it. I'm relying upon the Lord. I'm resting in Him. I have the strength and wisdom, hopefully, I need to navigate that given situation. Um, and so it is not just ignorance, but it is avoidance that keeps men from resting, Um, I think one of the reasons we don't rest is because if we stop, then things that we know we should be dealing with are now there, right? If something's off with the wife, we have to actually sense that. Um, If something's off physically, we have to take the time to evaluate that. If something's off spiritually, and so rest is a time to regroup. The temptation to is avoid that at all costs. All right, so number one, resting weapons. Number two, let's talk for a few minutes about renewing weapons. So it's one thing to take a break and to kind of pull away, but then how do we renew? How do we add back the strength that we need to deal with the stress that we navigate as men? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Chuck Norris. Have you heard of this guy? The guy that nobody can win against or defeat. Um, I was preaching at a college a couple, I guess it was a year ago, and so I just posted on Facebook. I said, give me your best Chuck Norris joke, all right? And that's probably the most popular post I've ever put up in my life, okay? I had like thousands of comments and some very good Chuck Norris jokes. So I shared just a couple of them with you tonight to make sure you're awake. Number one, when Alexander Bell finished inventing the telephone, he had a missed call from Chuck Norris. I love that one, okay? Two more if you'll, if you'll I have thousands, okay? But just three, top three tonight. Number two, the boogeyman checks under his bed for Chuck Norris. And then my, my favorite would be this. When Chuck goes swimming, he doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck. <laughs> so stupid, right? Do you ever feel like we... <laughs> do you ever feel like... <laughs> some of you is just now clicking. 
Uh, do you ever feel like we're supposed to be him? Like we can take on anything, and then you look in the mirror, and you, you evaluate how you feel, and you're like, I can't fight my way out of a paper bag right now. I got nothing. Where do we go to find strength? Where do we go to renew? Where do we go to have the fortitude we need uh, to deal with the stress that we deal with in life? So I want to give you just a few practical things I'm finding that renew me that I think are not just spiritual disciplines. They're weapons, if I'll let them be that. Number one, personal devotions. These are not going to be like you know, things you've never heard of before, but they're things we need to hear, right? We need to be reminded of our personal walk with the Lord. Um, Psalm 119, 165, great peace of they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And that word offend there, we, we so butcher that verse. It has nothing to do with me being offended by someone else. The idea is nothing will trip them up. Yeah. Man, when you're, when, you're, when you're weak and when you're, you're stumbling through life, it doesn't take much to make you fall flat on your face. We need God's peace. We need His strength and His renewal. And we only find that in His Word. Um, I know it's a simple thought, but so often we're too busy for the Word of God. And if you are, you're just too busy, right? Or your view of your business, you're too busy. And so, men, we need to be in the Word. Um, are your kids waking up in the morning and catching Dad trying to get his feet under him and his faith and his heart and renewed and strength? Are they seeing you in the Word? Not just so you, you don't do it just for that. Does your wife know you're in the Word? Or are you just kind of giving her your hot takes on things? You're not giving her Scripture. You're not showing that you're guided by it and ruled by it and fueled by it. Um, and so we need to be in the Word of God on a regular basis. And I found when I'm in the Word, my day may not go better, but how I process it does go better. It could be a worse day. But it, my frame of mind, my perspective is different than when I'm too busy, quote-unquote, to be in God's Word. All right, number two. This is a key one for we men. Christian fellowship. I'm sure I'm preaching at the choir tonight, as we would say, but we've got to be in community. Christian fellowship. Um, let's look at it quickly, just because we're so close. Would you go to Galatians for just a second? Just go over one book, Galatians chapter number 6. Um, in verse 2, we quote verse 1 all the time, and I'll read it here in a second, but I think verse 2 is just as key of a verse to Galatians as verse 1. Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man... If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Notice this, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do you see the communal feel there in verses 1 and 2? Um, and I would tell you this, sometimes the way that we keep ourselves from misprocessing stress is by helping someone else who is doing it wrong. Um, and considering that we could also fall into that same mindset uh, on a regular basis. And so the admonition is that we should be in Christian community. Um, there's the proverb, you maybe have heard it before, shared joy is double joy, shared sorrow is half sorrow. And I've found the same to be true of stress. Shared stress tends to be reduced stress because someone else at least is carrying the load with me. Some of you men, your greatest struggle with stress has nothing to do with the stressors. It has everything to do with your systematic way of processing it that's all by your lonesome. Um, can we at least admit, though we may sing better, and I, know, I would agree we don't look better, as Pastor was saying, but we are relationally often dysfunctional, aren't we, as men? The ladies have their own set of challenges, but it typically is not in this area. They tend to lean into others uh, when they're going through a stressful season. We men, if we're not careful, yeah, I'm good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. We grunt at each other, we keep it inside, we keep it in our own space. We've got to share um, when we're going through a stressful season. Um, and I think it's hard, I know for my wife, it's hard for me to admit when I'm stressed. I still tell her, but I don't tell her by admitting it, right? I'm angry, I'm irritable, I'm edgy, I'm jumpy. Um, and I think if we would be more proactive with stress versus reactionary, our wives could help us. And the same is true with others, maybe in our ministry and context at work. Uh, we've got to be in Christian community. Could your poor stress management actually be a fruit issue and your lack of Christian fellowship to help share it be the root issue? Um, so I think that's a question we all have to be honest with before um, the Lord. I had a thought somebody shared with me just recently. Have you thought about David, specifically what led up to his sin with Bathsheba, which I would submit to you possibly was not consensual, if I can say it that way? 
He took advantage of her. He killed her husband. He tried to hide it. Do you know that that occurred after his best bud, Jonathan, died? And you never see David adding back someone to fill that gap. I don't know if I, how I missed that, but just recently somebody shot that to me. We have got to always have friendships. We've got to always, I heard your pastor emphasize it several times today. We need that for this specific area. Um, and I think David, if, I, if I'm honest with you, I think I see a lot of stress in David's life right before he made this mistake. He's just blowing off steam. He's just not out at battle because he's got a lot going on. And he used that excuse to validate all the sinfulness that followed it. And so we've got to learn from his poor example as uh, God gives us that in his word. Um, maybe this will help visualize it for you. heard someone ask this question the other day, who are your six? Who are your six? And here's what he meant by that. Who are the people closest enough to you in life that when you die, they will carry your casket? You know how many times I've been in a funeral as a pastor and I end up carrying um, someone from the funeral home has to help out because that guy didn't have his six? Like, we got to have that. Right. Not just to carry the load when we can't carry ourselves in that moment, but the moments between now and then. Who are your six? Who are my six? That's where the real rub is. That's where the battleground is. That's where the, the war is won as we lean into those relationships that God has given or he wants us to be a part of in the days ahead. All right, one more. Uh, lastly, generous service. So these are just practical ways to renew ourselves in the Lord. It's so counterintuitive. Let's look, we're in Galatians. Go to Philippians for just a second. Chapter 2. And uh, we have the example of Christ here. And I remind you of familiar verses, but ones that we often struggle to implement. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things. So he's speaking to men here. But every man also in the things of others, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Go down to verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a what? Servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And so we have to stop looking at ourselves and what we have, and we have to look upon the needs of others. I don't know if you're like me, but when I'm stressed, the last thing I want to do is add another task to my list, especially if it's quote-unquote not necessary. That's his thing. That's her thing. That's the wife's thing. And I found the thing that frees me from the downward spiral of stress that's in an unproductive way is to get my focus off of me and to help someone else. Um, we, we've lost that if we're not careful in this day. We men are not known primarily as servants. We're known as masters and bosses. And if we're not careful, egomaniacs, especially when we get stressed out, if you can make your move when you get stressed to go low, to go into servant mode, you will never, ever, ever forget that or regret that. Stress, always we ought to strive to serve people around us when we're navigating this mood, this shift in our hearts and in our minds. I don't have to be self-focused because God's got my back. I can focus on serving others. So even when I want to be vigilant, I want to focus on things that I'm concerned about, maybe primarily about others, because God's got me. He's taking care of me. Now I can serve and minister to the needs of those um, that are around me. So stress tends to make us self-absorbed. The antidote to this harmful tendency is to serve others, especially, listen, those who don't, quote-unquote, deserve it. Right. There's no, there's no um, give and take. I'll do this for you, and you'll do this for me. That's not true service. Um, and so I encourage you to look for those opportunities this week, especially when you're stressed. Look for the waitress and thank her. I don't know, that someone who's serving you uh, and recognize that and affirm them is a huge step away from wrong ways of stressing out. So you're caving to dysfunctional habits to cope with stress. Could say less about how weak you are and more about how you're not renewing your strength through the life-giving disciplines and relationships that God has given to you. All right, give you a last thought, and then we'll open it up. We have just a couple of minutes. If you have a question or something you found that's helpful to you in this area, um, C.S. Lewis, um, not always a guy we agree with on everything, obviously, uh, theologically, but he has this thought that he wrote. He said, there's no neutral ground in the universe, okay? So there's no square inch that isn't claimed by God, counterclaimed by God. You may have read that quote. 
But he says every square inch, every split second, so not just space but time, is claimed by God and is counter-claimed by Satan. So that means there are no neutral toys. Everything truly is a weapon. The spiritual forces at work have weaponized everything. And you may think it's a toy, and you might think it's something just to kind of blow off some steam, but it is a weapon being used by someone. And so may we choose the right set of weaponry, may we choose the arsenal God has given us, others that we didn't have time to cover tonight, and process the stressful moments of life in a way that please and honor the Lord. I truly believe that most of the stress in our lives has nothing to do with what we typically blame it on. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, brethren, but against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. The tension in our souls, the stress in our lives is because of that collision. And it's time to pick a side by choosing to use weapons, or often men are using toys. So I hope that helps you tonight to let go of the carnal toys and to lean into the sanctifying weapons that God has provided. So we've got just a couple minutes here tonight. What, What questions do you have or an idea on something that's helped you. Yeah, go ahead, brother. You said you were going to mention something about hobbies. Yeah. To balance. Yeah, I think that would be, if you go back to the uh, resting weapons, I mentioned the, the mind versus the, the manual, the manual versus the mind. I feel like that's probably where I'm thinking of that fits in there. So the hobbies, um, a lot of pastors, because we do more of the mental part, at least we... We have sometimes mental issues as well because of the ministry. But you, I feel like for pastors, most of the guys I feel they're healthy have found something manual to do. Yeah. Uh, woodworking, uh, it could be all kinds of sports, whatever. So yeah, I think my point with hobbies is not to pick on you. It's just if you're kind of just checking out with them, that's unhealthy. Yeah. And I think maybe one way to guard against that is to do hobbies that are communal. Get a young man in the wood shop with you if we're using that as an example. You know what I mean? You can use even your hobbies to still be building relationships. I think isolated hobbies can be good for us introverts, but you can go to seed on that, right, and be very self-absorbed. Um, my son, Landon, for example, he, he and I are working to connect now as the only child with our oldest at college. And uh, I think what we're going to do, I don't know if this sounds crazy to you, but he's into books. The older the book, the better, all right? He, he, tr- he distrusts any book written after 1960. He might be smart on that, okay? <laughs> And um, he's like, they haven't died yet, Dad, so I don't know for sure if I want to read from them. It's kind of his mindset. And um, I don't know if 1960 should be his threshold. But anyway, um, but he and I, one of the things we're probably going to do this summer when he gets done with basketball or spring, we're just going to go around to used bookstores in Ohio, find like the coolest ones we can find. Um, and that's something I'll enjoy doing, but I'm spending time with my son while I'm doing it. So that's what I'm talking about, just finding fun things to do. Um, that, that's very healthy and wholesome. And for us task-oriented people, it's like all we can do to do it. Because we're just like, I could be at home doing this or at the church doing that. Um, and uh, so I have to grow in that. Yeah, good question. What else tonight? Either idea, something that's helped you with stress, especially some of you guys that are ahead of me a bit in age, um, that were born before 1960 maybe. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, what are some things you're finding help, or what's a question you have about that? Don't be bashful. Um, one thing I was going to say earlier, my boys and I just stumbled onto, it's called Accountable to You, and it is a great internet, um, what I like about it, you may still use some filters, but it sends an email report, unless you think I'm just monitoring my sons, they're monitoring me. Yep. So you can put every device that you have in the house on it, and it sends an email that will be as consolidated as you want, but if there's anything that gets flagged, then you can look at the report and hold each other accountable. Yep. I haven't found anything. Everything else I've found just has holes in it where you can get around some of it. This just gives you the rundown, and um, it's painfully honest. So that might be something to use yourself or with your... I feel like the dad's son, I love that. My son's in Pensacola right now. He's getting reports on my devices. I'm getting reports on his, and I feel like it shows I also need the accountability. So that's something maybe to think about as your boys get older if they're not right now. Um, That's a great resource. Any other ideas, maybe a book you've read or a resource that you feel like has been helpful with the thought life or managing stress. I know it's, what is it? It's almost six o'clock. Our brains tend to start getting mushy as we go. That's why we watch. Yeah, go ahead, brother. I think it's interesting how the the world celebrates these toys. Yes. You're not wasting time on video games. You're 
Yeah, yeah. You're not a glutton, you're a foodie. Yeah, uh-huh. it's true. Now you're meddling, but yeah, it's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Finding a way to celebrate the things that are actually killing our diet. Yeah, yeah, amen to that. Yeah, the world is very good at relabeling things, aren't they? Um, and dumbing down deviancy, like we just, we found ways to like ease our conscience on that. Yes, go ahead, bro. One thing that I don't see is powerful Christian music. Yeah. So one thing that I don't see is powerful Christian music because it is this unification of body, soul, and spirit. It is essential in Scripture and, uh, and a great stress relief. That's a good word. Yeah, I, I, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Isn't it amazing how quickly you can make a space sacred by just adding a soundtrack to it in your car? Um, I do think it's sometimes we overdo that, like where we don't have quiet, like we should have white space. But I think that can also then our... The false narratives can creep in. Yeah, music is a powerful... Find those anthems, you know, that you can just sing your lungs out and just let go of the, the more temporal things in your life. Focus on the Lord. I do think a lot of our stress... Like, here would be maybe the question. It, I'm not trying to lead you, but if we're in heaven, is the reason we will not be stressed because there's nothing to stress us or because God is there? Like, I think we overplay that heaven is so wonderful because we won't have anything to bother us. I think even if we did, we'd be fine because God is fully manifested, right, in that space. But in one sense, we have access to that right now, don't we? We have his complete word. He's going to continue to teach us from this word. His spirit is within us. We have the local church. I mean, we have so many resources at our disposal. And what is the, back to the brother's point, what is the primary thing we're going to be doing for eternity? singing our lungs out to the Lord, to the Lamb, right? With every tribe, tongue, and nation, with their own individual stressors and challenges they all had to push through and persevere through. I mean, there will be martyrs there, many that have faced much more than we have on the stress front. So I think we have to, you're right, let that future shine into the present, I think is so key. Anybody else real quick, a thought? I I know the ladies have probably been done for, yeah, right, they'll be... (laughs) I won't say who's teaching over there. It might be at fault for that. But Does that help? Does that help us tonight? Okay, let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, these men. God, I pray you'd help them to identify where they're out of bounds and the, on the negative front that you would allow them to acknowledge where they're doing stress the way other men, the average man, even the average Christian does it. May they acknowledge and repent of that. I pray where there is secret sin. Lord, it's not if, but where and who in this room is struggling with it or will this week. Pray to help them to know, <laughs> know they're among friends that love them. And may they allow your spirit and your conviction to rob the, the darkness of the power it has, the secrecy, the denial, the deflection. And may they own it. And may they find the help they need through the relationships and the resources that you've put at their disposal. And I pray as well, secondly, you'd help us become more proactive. Help us to own where our lack of rhythm of rest and renewal is causing us to be weak when we need to be strong. That's undermining our stamina, uh, Lord, because we're not taking the time off and being intentional when we are in the way it allows you to renew us and refresh us. I pray we would start this new week with this mindset, and Lord, that practically we would take to heart the things that have been shared tonight. And we will give you alone the praise and glory for it. In Christ's name, amen.